Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali and I, are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem. We'll try to put it all together for you. So let's get started. Okay, so we are going to be looking at the last study of our book of Amos. We're uh, going to be putting in in chapter 9. Yesterday, we we, uh, we ended around verse 1. I'll take up in verse 1, and we're going to continue all the way through um, this wonderful, wonderful study in the book of Amos. So let's get started. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people. Now, what is this? This is God giving a vision to Amos. And Amos is telling the people up in the northern kingdom that because they have not changed their hearts, they've not repented, they have... Uh, rejected God's word for man's word. Uh, they have rejected God's uh, teachings. They have placed their faith in other things. And it's like this, we were saying yesterday, it was like the generation of the obvious. They're placing their faith in health, wealth, self. That's kind of like what our generation places our faith in today, the obvious. And we deny the obvious majesties of God. We deny the miracles that we see around us every day. And this generation, as well as our generation, trades all this for the obvious things of man. You know, the health, the wealth, the self, the things that are going to just be temporary. But man always thinks that they're not going to be temporary. And he trades these things, these false senses of securities, for, uh, uh, he, he trades God's security for these false senses of security. And so God says, you know, because of your sin, um, now I am giving Amos this vision to tell you what's going to happen to you. And obviously the, uh, the, the nation of Israel has already divided itself into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, Amos being from the southern kingdom in a little town called Tekoa outside of Jerusalem, and now he's up in the northern kingdom, uh, and he's and he's giving these visions up there. And, of course, the big vision is, is the, the uh, Assyrians are going to come in and uh, devastate the northern kingdom, and they're going to take away uh, the people 
of the northern kingdom into captivity. Now, it's not because the Assyrians are all that great a people. God is going to be using them, allowing them to do His purposes, His will, because God is sovereign over everything, the heavens and the earth, and nothing happens on the heavens, in the heavens and the earth, unless God has uh, decided that it will happen. And so, again, we get a picture of the hearts of men. We get a picture of God's um, continual patience, uh, but also uh, uh, His perfection. He has to judge. He has to judge sin. Amos doesn't want it to happen. God doesn't want it to happen either. They've had visions of putting off these things before. Uh, God gave Amos uh, visions, and Amos said, please, God, don't let this happen. And several times God relented. So we even see that. We even see back in some of our earlier chapters, uh, God just um, putting off this uh, judgment. But now the judgment it has been made. It's final. And now the uh, justice is getting ready to be carried out. But we also get a picture that uh, this justice is going to be carried out, but it will allow uh, the redemption of the nation. And in many, um, in many ways, I mean, I was just thinking about that this morning, uh, Israel itself kind of mirrors uh, the gospel message of Christ. Also, God uses the nation of Israel. He has to allow the nation of Israel to die in order to be reborn. Okay? And just as Christ had to die for sin, uh, and then Christ was allowed to be reborn, uh, that... Um, that's the gospel message. And so if we place our faith in Christ, um, we place our faith in his death and resurrection. And again, Israel, uh, the nation Israel, is kind of modeling uh, what's going to happen to Christ. It's kind of modeling God's plan of salvation for mankind. We, we see this, uh, we see kind of a parallel here between the nation of Israel having to die for sin in order to be uh, resurrected uh, in life. So let's keep that in mind as we read this, because uh, it's not that God is uh, a vindictive God punishing the nation of Israel. He's having to do this because of sin, but it also, it's, it's, it's kind of a prophecy in another way into the, the salvation, the, the saving... Um, the saving um, gospel, uh, the saving uh, mission of Jesus Christ on earth. And of course, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the religious leaders didn't understand this when they were seeing what Jesus was doing uh, when he came on the, uh, when, he, when he was on the earth. They had all this scripture, but again, all this scripture was over their heads. They didn't understand it that, um, the nation Israel will have to, you know, had to die and to, in order to be reborn. And it is still, that, that prophecy is still um, going in effect because Israel has not been reborn yet. Just because there's a nation today. Uh, McGee says the nation Israel is going to be fully reborn when only when Christ returns. Okay, so 
God's saying, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake. The capitals would be the tops of the, of the columns of this altar, this vision of an altar that the Lord is standing beside. Uh, it can be the altar of the false gods. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna bust up these altars of the false gods. It can be the altar of the nation Israel itself that is going to be brought down and shatter them on the heads of the people. So we have this vision of an altar. And instead of animals as the sacrifice in these pagan temples, uh, it's, it's now the, the, um, the people themselves will be sacrificed. Their own lives will be sacrificed. Why? Because of their hearts that were unrepentant. So they're going to be sacrificed. In other words, God is going to judge them, and they will be the ones that die. So the people will not escape, uh, even though they may be hiding in their own altars. You know, and a lot of times people today hide in our own altars too. Own altars to self, wealth, health, all our prideful things. Um, and as uh, verse 1 continues, And those who are left of them I will kill by the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. In other words, there's no escape of God's judgment. Verse 2, if they dig into Sheol, and from there um, shall, shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they uh, hide themselves on top of Carmel, that's a, a mountaintop, Mount Carmel. Uh, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies there, I will command by the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. In other words, there's no escape. No matter where you try to go, you can go to the underworld, you know, if you, if you can figure out how to get to the underworld, or if you can get, figure out how to get even up to heaven, or from any mountaintop. Or from the bottom of the ocean, if you could even live down there. There's no escape. I'll find them and kill them. Because there's no place that sin can go that will be out of the sovereignty of God. And even if another nation takes you captive and says, you know, oh, I feel kind of better in a way because now I'm under their authority. God says, no, even if you're under the authority of another nation, it doesn't matter because everybody's under my authority. There is no escaping my authority because my eyes are laser beam on you for evil, not for good. Okay, because I know your sin, your sin cannot be hidden from me. Verse five, the Lord of hosts who touches the earth, excuse me, the Lord God of hosts. He who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn. All and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt. Okay, so this is, is describing how powerful God is. He touches the earth and the whole earth melts, and all who dwell in it would mourn. 
And he rises like the Nile. In other words, the Nile River, when it overflowed its banks, there's nothing that would escape it. It would flood everything and it would wash everything away. And it sinks again like the Nile. And the way that's the way the Nile worked. It would always overflow its borders, its boundaries, and then, then recede. And that's how the land would be replenished. That's how the, the land would stay so fertile. It's, but, but what the Nile had to do was rise to destroy all of the, all of the, um, the crops that were, were there and would wash them all away, but then it would replenish the soil. So that was a rejuvenation process, but it just showed another example that they could understand that the Lord is, works like that. Verse 6, Who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. In other words, God is so great. He does all these things. And then it says, the Lord is his name. And we're going to be coming back to this name of the Lord. How holy is his name? How powerful is his name? It's not about us in any way. It's about him. It's about his name and his glory, his sovereignty and his power. And he has to judge sin. And it's like, it's almost making the case that sin has to be judged because God is so powerful, so awesome, so holy. You can't have sin in his presence. Don't you understand, people? You know, that's kind of like what he's saying. Verse 7, Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt? And the Philistines from Kephor, which is the island of Crete, and the Syrians from Kerr. God is saying, look, I'm sovereign over all these people, over all these nations, just like I am sovereign over all, these crea- all the creation. I'm sovereign over the earth and the heavens and the sea, and I'm sovereign over all these people. Verse 8, Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Okay? So God says, look, I am sovereign over all this, heavens and the earth and the peoples, and I will not let sin stand. Sin is going to be eradicated. It has to die. And I will have to put to death the sin in the world so that the world can be reborn again in life. That's how mankind is going to be redeemed. And I'm going to let that whole thing play out in the life of Jesus Christ. He's going to represent the whole sinful kingdom of the world and it will die so that the world can be reborn through through Christ. So I'm not going to utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Verse 9, For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all nations. Okay? So Israel is going to be punished among all the nations. Israel is going to be put down among all the nations. Israel is going to be so subservient to all the nations. 
just as Christ is going to be subservient to all the people. So through Christ, all the people can live. As one shakes a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. Verse 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In other words, all the sinful people will perish. Their hearts have not repented. Okay, so then uh, verse 11, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches. So in that day, that refers to the day of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ returns to the earth. Now, we are still, you know, again, when Jesus comes to, when Jesus comes, the first time Jesus came, he didn't come. He didn't come to save the, you know, to, re, to restore his kingdom, you know, in that day. That's the, the judgment day when Jesus will come the second time. But when, the, when Jesus came like a baby the first time, that was in order to die. But then when Jesus comes his second time in that day, that's what, that's, um, it's another reference to Jesus' coming He's going to raise up the nation Israel back to its glory, and so the world as well. So again, when Jesus did come the first time, he did come to establish and repair the house of David. That's what he did. But his, his second coming will be when all of this is restored. In that day, I will rise up the booth of David. That's the fragile, torn remnants of the nation Israel. And raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Okay? So that hasn't happened. And that didn't happen when Christ came the first time. Christ restored it spiritually, but he hasn't, he hasn't come the second time to restore it physically. Verse 12. That they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations who are called by my name. Okay? So when, when in that day... When the earth is rest- when Israel is restored, when Israel is rebuilt, it's going to allow all the other nations to also be restored. The people who are called by by name, okay. So it's the name of the Lord is the Lord is central to all this. But through the death and rebirth of Israel. It's just it's foreshadowing the death and rebirth of Christ. It's allowing all the nations to, to come under Him. Declares the Lord who does this. It is the Lord who's doing this. Not the nations. The Lord. This is the Lord's will. This is the Lord's sovereign plan. So, the nation Israel, part of the nation will survive but it's the Lord doing it, not because of their own people or their own ability to survive. God is saying, I'm going to let part of you live. Verse 13, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. In other words, the land is going to be so plentiful that the person who's plowing the crops is going to overtake the person who's even trying to, to harvest. And the treader of grapes is going to overtake them who even plants the seed. 
because it, everything's going to be so fertile and so productive. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. In other words, the land is going to be bountiful. And, it, and McGee always says, or said in this study, that when the, the people are blessed, you see the land blessed. And I will restore for, the fortunes of my people, Israel. So Israel will finally be restored. And again, that hasn't happened yet. So this is, this is even prophecy for us. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. This is again the remnant of Israel being saved by God. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So it is God's will, God's sovereignty, God's plan and it is according to His name. It's done under His name. All the nations who are called by my name. And it got me to thinking about what His name means. You know, and I heard a study by John Piper this morning. It was, uh, it was entitled, You Are Made for God. It's from the Solid Joys uh, devotional from April 26th. And um, I combined it you know, because it got me thinking about God's name. And so then I went back to Amos and looked. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven references to God's name in Amos. And then John Piper gave one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight references uh, about God's name. So I'm going to read through these really quickly just to show you as a, as as uh, I was learning today, how important God's name is, God's holy name is. And as John Piper made the point that we're made for God, not for anything on our own, but it's all made in God's name. And as Amos, the study here, concludes, this restoration for Israel is made in God's name. It's for His name's sake, His glory. It is, it is all about Him. It is not about us. And that's the reason that the nation Israel um, isolated themselves from God is they would not call on His name. They wouldn't recognize His name. They wouldn't praise His name and they wouldn't pray in His name. Let's take a look. Amos chapter 2 verse 7 says, So that my holy name is profaned. In other words, talking about the sin. The sin um, went against God's holy name. Amos chapter 4 verse 13, it talks about the one who forms the mountains, the winds, and treads on the heights of the world. That's the Lord, the God of hosts, is His name. Amos chapter 5, verse 8. He who formed the Pleiades and Orion, he's talking about the stars in the sky and the heavens, the Lord is His name. Amos chapter 5, verse 27. I will send into exile whose name is the God of hosts. In other words, God is exiling people. God is, is making decisions on the nations, 
and guiding history. Who is it? It's the it's the the Lord whose name is the God of hosts. Amos chapter 6 verse 10 is talking about the name of the Lord. Amos 19 verse 6 He who builds the heavens, the earth, the sea, it's the Lord. The Lord is his name. Amos chapter 9 verse 12, the one we're in right now. Who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. It's the Lord. It's his name. 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 22. For his great name's sake, these things are being done. And he says, and I wouldn't stop praying. Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 11. He talks about, you are a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. So we are made to be a people of God, a name for God, a praise for God, and a glory for God. That's what we are. We are His namesake. We are a name. It's God's holy name that we represent. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 21, that they might declare my praise. It's for His name. We are made to declare His praise in His name. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. That's what we're supposed to do. To proclaim the excellencies of his name. Matthew chapter 6 verse name. Hallowed be thy name. That's when we pray. We pray in his name. And his name is hallowed. Psalm 23 verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He does these things for His name, in His name. John chapter 2, verse 12, your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. It's His power. It's His glory. It's His righteousness. 1 Colossians 3, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the, uh, the Father through Him. Look at all this scripture that has to do, including the book of Amos and including other books of the Bible that have to do, Old Testament and New Testament, that has to do with focusing our attention, our whole consciousness on the fact that it's God's name that all of this is being done in. It's God's name that allows our sins to be forgiven. Our sins are forgiven in His name. Jesus Christ was put to death and resurrected in God's name. We are reborn again in Christ in God's name. We were originally made to be a people of God in His name, to praise Him, to be His name's sake. It's all there and our natural tendency is to say, well, what about us? What about me? And it's so hard sometimes for us to understand that 
God loves us so much. He wants us to recognize how badly we need Him. And if we could just see how badly we need Him, we would do nothing but praise His name. So the Lord's holy name is, um, you know, the book of Amos. It talks about God's holy name, and it talks about the generation that that just ignores His holy name. And I've called it in this book, The Generation Obvious. The generation obvious that chases the obvious. Health, wealth, self, the pride of self. And denies the obvious. It denies the obvious miracles that, that people seek to see every day a repentant heart, a changed life when one allows the Word of God to change a heart, to change a life. We can see a heart that was dead now come back to life. We can see a person's life who was dead in sin now producing fruit of their faith. Fruit that you can see is the miracle, is a miracle of faith. His justice and righteousness on those who deny Him. People living in denial. People dying every day. We see that happen. And we see the result of man's worthless wisdom every day. All the things that people put their faith in, their health, their wealth, the self. Every day we see examples, if you just open your eyes and look, that placing your faith in your own health or your own wealth or your own self always ends in failure. People die every day. People die of coronavirus. People die of other things. What good was the health, the wealth, and the self at that point? Those are modern day examples of God's sovereignty. Just as the modern day examples of a repentant heart are. And a changed life is an example of God's sovereignty and God's modern day miracles. So the generation obvious, Geno, denies the obvious things of God, trying to look for the obvious things of man. It's the name of God that we need to be acknowledging. And even anyone, God can use any one of us. He used Amos, a sheep herder from the southern kingdom, from a little country town of Tekoa, to go up to this northern kingdom and proclaim God's name, God's holy name, to the priests who were worshiping the golden calves. And another verse, powerful verse in chapter 5, verse 4, seek me and live. You want to sum up the gospel right there? Seek me and live. What a powerful four-verse, four-word verse. It only has four little words. Seek me. Don't seek yourself. Don't seek um, the generation obvious of the world. 
the health, the wealth, the self. Seek me. Seek God. Seek his holy name. Don't seek yourself or man's worthless wisdom or worthless worship. Seek me. And when you do so, you live. That's the gospel message, too. The only way that you live is through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think that was John chapter 14, verse 6. Seek me and live. So for me to all of you, I hope this study was really uh, helpful. I loved it. It was great. I love this book of Amos. So from for now on, I'll always look back. It was one of my favorite books. So um, God bless you all. Keep your heart centered on Christ. We'll be in Second Peter tomorrow, back in the New Testament. Now I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you guys are doing great. And I just know that uh, Matali uh, is gonna has been loving this um, study as well. And I just can't wait to hear what she has to say today. God bless you all. We'll see you next time.